This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Good morning. We get going here. Um, in in Acts chapter four, I, th- I talked about this some last week, but Peter and John are brought in to give an account for a healing that took place with a lame man, and they're under pressure. They're under stress. They are in a in a sticky situation. Um, something they've never dealt with before, and they've been brought in uh, with the potential for legal charges against them of some sort, and at the very least, uh, some sort of um, a chastisement from the religious system. And then back in those days, it was hard to separate out the religious system from the legal system. It was all sort of intermixed together. And so they're asked all these questions, and they, the, the elders, the leaders want details. And Peter finally, he just speaks up and says, you know what? Here's what we're doing, and here's why, and here's whose name we're doing it in. We're walking in obedience to one person, to his commands, to his call, We're following him, and it is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the person that you crucified. And he goes on in verse 12 to say that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You know, in America, our lives in terms of our faith have been has been pretty easy. It's been pretty easy. There hasn't really been any stress. There hasn't really been any pressure. I was born into a pastor's home on the 12th of September, 1961, out in Colorado. And my mom and dad, from the time my mom was well enough to go, I'm sure took me straight to church. And I was taken to church my whole life ever since then, right? When I became an adult, I decided to take a few, um, a period of time off from church because I'd gotten weary with it. But I came back, and when I came back, nobody was standing in my way. Nobody was saying, you can't go. Nobody was saying, we're going to do this, that, or the other to you if you choose to go to church. Nobody was saying you can't worship that God. Nobody was saying you can't call that name. Nobody was saying you can't do works under that name. It's been pretty easy. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to have been born in a country and to have grown up and lived in a country where we can do that. But not everybody around the world can say that. And certainly throughout history, it hasn't always been that way. There have been lots of times in history where people came under great stress and persecution and pressure concerning their faith. And that's where Peter and John were. And their answer was, all the world's circumstances don't matter anymore because we've chosen Him. 
Your ideals and principles and theories and opinions don't matter anymore because we've chosen him. And they stood bold-faced and flat-footed and said, it's Jesus Christ that we know, Jesus Christ that you killed, Jesus Christ that we serve and worship, and it's in his name that we're doing everything we're doing, and it is his name that we are proclaiming everywhere we go to the whole world. We need to ramp it up, y'all, in terms of our willingness to proclaim his name, to work in his name, to do everything we do in his name, to have his name as the context for our whole lives. Because the line is getting bolder and bolder and bolder by the day. Believe me, it is getting bolder. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatever you sow, whoever's name you proclaim, whoever's name you live by, whoever's name you work under, that's where you're going to land when the line has finally been clearly, unequivocally established and you are on one side of it or the other. And like I also said last week, there's a time coming when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He is the Savior, that He is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. I'm choosing that life now. I'm not going to wait till then. I'm going to do it of my own choice now. I'm not going to wait until I'm forced to do it. I'm going to be His Son today. Are you with me on that? Y'all stand up with me. Let's, let's worship that person Let's worship that name. Let's declare that He is King of kings, Lord of lords. Let's bow ourselves before Him today and say that it is in the name of Jesus and by the person of Jesus that I'm here, that I'm alive, that I'm experiencing transformation, and that I'm able to worship Him with this family here today. Let's worship Him together today. Amen. Well, just real quick, I know that... Uh know that our worship time is going to be extra awesome today because our practice was kind of strange. I had one singer leave, had to go pick up family, one that thought they were going to pass out, another one had to go feed the baby, and I was like, everybody go. Anyway, it's going to be a good day.
favorite part from Sing Worthy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquers the grave.
because you make a way where there is no way. You heal us when there's no other way. You make provision when there's no other way. You bring solutions and answers when there's no other way, no other source that can do the job. You are truly the way maker. You work miracles that nobody else can do. You make promises and you keep those promises. You're the one we know we can always count on. And so today we turn to you again. We turn to you. We depend on you to make the way in every situation in our personal lives, in our families, in our community, in our family of faith here, in our country, in our world. We're depending on you to make a way, shine the light, show your people which way to go, what the direction is to the promised land. Thank you that we have you. We don't need anything else. We have you. We hold up those in prayer today who need a, a way made clear to them, those who are sick, those who are struggling in various ways. We pray over Cheryl today that you would just touch her as she's uh, battling sinus infections and still not able to be here. And we just ask you would bring healing to her and that you would bless her, that the Holy Spirit would fill up the room where she is now. Minister to her. To Alton Pitts, we just give you thanks that he was able to come home this week, but still still not doing really well and we just pray over him we just pray for strength and healing pray for his family for comfort and peace we pray for the elderly people who are still in their homes and just not comfortable coming out yet and we just pray that their lives and their days will be filled up with the comfort of your spirit and with love and tenderness and that they would not feel lonely or frustrated and that you would touch each of them physically as well and bring healing Continue to hold up Dick Hardy and ask that you would touch him, touch his body, bring healing to his heart, bring healing to his physical condition. And most of all, day by day, just show him who you are and how much you care about what's going on. We pray for all those. We can't call all the names, but we just hold them up. Ones in the hospitals, nursing homes, those who are suffering from grief, loss of loved ones. We just bless them in prayer this morning. We pray for Maddie out in Colorado as she again uh, is working this summer on the ranch, that you would just bless her with your protection, keep her safe from danger, harm, or sickness, and also just day by day give her opportunities to serve, to give, to love, to minister to people. And in all ways, I pray your production and fruitfulness over that ministry. And we just ask that today that you would receive our worship, that you would receive our thanksgiving for who you are, that you are the way maker we love you. We worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take a couple minutes. Go around. Greet somebody. It's a good day to be together. Good to see you.
All right, let me share um, share a couple of pieces of information with you. I was asked to announce a wedding shower date for JC and Nick. Um, Saturday, June 20th, 6.30 at the South Cabin. Everyone's invited. I think Cheryl and Dawn are leading the way with that. And um, appreciate y'all um, being there to support them if you can and for praying for them leading up to their marriage and afterwards. They need a lot of prayer, especially one of them, but I won't say who. Um, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Yeah, I'm praying for you, Jay. Big sale this Saturday, starting at 9 a.m., spread the word. Hopefully it'll be big. We need to get rid of a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. So uh, I'd like to get a lot of folks out here and unload the gym because we need to have a wedding reception in there in July, and there's no way we could do it now. A couple things that are not on the screen. I would ask that you be in prayer um, this coming week about this property behind us here. I've shared about that before. So on Tuesday morning, um, Sully and Stephen and I are going to meet with the city manager and the director of building and zoning for the city of Thomaston to discuss that property and what our options might be for it if we were to acquire it. So, um, you know, just just uh, keep that before the Lord. We don't want to do anything we shouldn't do. Uh, however, it's it's easy to feel like that that beautiful open piece of land back there, 92 acres, has been sitting there for years and years waiting on us. It's It's easy to feel that way, and when you hear the owner say, I've just been sitting on it waiting for its highest and best use to be revealed, and as soon as that happens, I'm going to turn it loose. When he's saying that, it becomes even easier to think that it's been sitting there waiting on us because we can certainly put it to a high and good use. So we're going to have that conversation with them, and then we're going to uh, proceed from there off of that conversation. We appreciate your prayers for that. At the end of the service today, we're going to uh, say thank you and bless Monique and EJ for um, being part of our family here for a while now and for their service and for just, I mean, they've been a tremendous asset to us in a lot of ways. And so um, I didn't call her name in the prayer a few minutes ago. Today will be her last Sunday with us for some period of time. We don't think for good. We're not going to believe that. <laughs> but, um, uh, but, I, but I'm reserving that for the end of the service when we're going to pray for them and bless them as she heads off to North Carolina to help take care of her dad and some things up there. So um, if you would just stand back up with me. We're going to sing one more song. We're going to worship. We're going to prepare our hearts and minds for a very, very uh, strong and um, and good word I've got. You know, I mean, I hope, hopefully I don't ever come in here and, and have something I don't feel like is is any good for us. But today, particularly, 
I feel like this is a strong and good word for us, so we need to be ready for that. We need to set the table. We need to open our hearts and minds for it. So let's worship together.
give him all the praise. You can be seated. From the Daniel lessons that we've been talking about, kids can go out with Miss Christy. We're going to have the kids come back in, Christy, towards the end. I'll send Kendall down there to grab them because I want them to be in here when we pray for Monique and EJ. From the Daniel lessons, I want to look at number five today. Of course, as we've said, all these lessons are uh, interlocked and related to each other, so we're going to reference a couple of other ones. But particularly, uh, number five is where we're going to start. And it simply says that compromise in the kingdom is not an option. Compromise in the kingdom is not an option. Uh, Using the eighth verse of the first chapter of Daniel where it says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. No compromise. Daniel's a man of God. He is... um, one of God's chosen ones to do a specific work. He's from the family of God before he's part of any other organization, any other entity, any other family, any other kingdom. He is God's son. And he has committed himself to certain things that will lead him into deeper levels of holiness. And one of those is to take care of his body by not defiling himself with things that the the pagans or the foreigners eat and drink. So he resolves he's not going to defile himself, but then it says he asks the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. You notice that? He resolves. What does that mean? That means he makes a definite decision. This is what he's going to do. But then he's smart about it. He doesn't just go to the official and say, hey, bud, uh, I know what you're saying, but I'm not going to do it. He goes and asks permission in order to make the official feel like that it's really his decision whether or not Daniel can function this way. But what do you think Daniel would have done had the chief official said no? You're going to have to eat the same thing everybody else eats and drink the same thing everybody else drinks. I am declining your request. What do you think Daniel would have done? By inclination, based on everything else I see about Daniel and based on reading his stories, is that he would have looked at the official and said, do what you got to do. I'm not defiling myself with the king's food and drink. We have to believe that that's what he would have done because at other points in his life when he was told you have to do this, which is a compromise on your belief system in your God, or else you're going to die. What was his answer? Do what you got to do. I'm not compromising my faith, my belief, my approach to living out and worshiping my God. Compromise is not an option in the kingdom. It may be an option everywhere else for you in every other aspect of life. 
but it is simply not an option in the kingdom if your desire is to go to the deepest levels of intimate relationship with God and to understand as fully as possible what His purpose for you in life is and to have your hope of eternal life with Him secured, then compromise is not an option. We can tie this to the first lesson which says if we choose our own path over God's, He will at some point step back and allow us to suffer the consequences. We've dug into that lesson already. And certainly, one of the ways that we can compromise is to at times, here and there, based on circumstances, choose our own path over God's path. That would amount to compromise. It also, also relates to lesson number three, which says when crisis comes, mixing our faith with the world's ideas, opinions, philosophies, and theories is a monumental mistake. Our worship must remain pure. We talked about that last week. And it is when crisis comes that we tend to be pushed toward or tempted Remember that word, tempted, I'm going to deal with it in a minute, to compromise. It's easy to maintain a commitment when the pressure's not on, right? It's much easier to keep our resolve when everything's going smoothly. But when crisis comes and crisis creates pressure, Crisis creates stress. Confusion can creep in. That's when we are most likely to consider some form of compromise. But in the kingdom, there can be no compromise even when crisis comes. As a matter of fact, it should be the opposite. We should dig in with more resolve, with more commitment, with a higher level of faith when the crisis comes, then when everything is going smoothly. It also relates to lesson number six, which says, blessing follows obedience. That word obedience doesn't leave us any wiggle room for compromise. It doesn't leave room for us to insert our own ideas or opinions or to take the ideas and opinions of other people or other institutions or other philosophers and to bring them into God's recipe. When we choose obedience, we're choosing God's way totally, fully, completely, and exclusively without any consideration for other ideas and opinions to come in. And it relates to a whole lot of these other lessons, but we'll leave it right there for now. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> I mentioned week before last and last week that everything in these Daniel stories and everything in the Word always points in one direction. Everything points in the direction of Jesus Christ. When you start in the first chapter of Genesis and when you end up in the 22nd chapter of Revelation, everything that you have read has one arrow 
that points in one direction towards one person. And that person is the person of Jesus Christ. Last week we shared Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, which says, Fix your eyes on who? Jesus. He is the author and the completer or the finisher of your faith. In other words, when it comes to faith, everything starts right there in Him and everything is finished up right there in Him. You do not have to look any further. You do not have to go any other direction. Fix your eyes on Him. So, I like to read, I like to listen to material that, you know, can help me, can educate me, can encourage me, can give me insight on how to deal with life and situations. I hope you do too. I listen to people like Ravi Zacharias. He died, you know, a few days ago. I've sat and listened to some of his sermons recently. And the man just pours, he just, I mean, he just pours out the heart of God, just revelation of God and brilliant mind. But you know what? If Ravi Zacharias was bringing anything that stood in contrast or was contrary to the person of Jesus Christ or what Jesus ever said or did, I would have to shut him down even if 99% of what he said aligned with the person of Jesus Christ. If 1% stood contrary to who Jesus is, or anything Jesus ever did or said, I've got to get rid of it. I read people like A.W. Tozer, and I examine what he says, where it's coming from, the scriptural foundation for it, and if I ever find Tozer saying something that stands in contrast to the person of Jesus Christ, I'll have to do away with Tozer. And, and some people would say, well, that's not really how I see it. Because if you can gain something good from these people and, and leave the, the, the part that is contrary or stands in contrast out, wouldn't that still be beneficial to you? No. For this reason, these people are putting themselves forward as preachers, ministers, spokesmen who are here to give us the Word of God. You understand where I'm coming from? If I'm reading The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, that's a whole different thing because Mark Twain didn't say, I'm here to give you the words of God straight out of the heart of God. Right? Steinbeck never said that. Hemingway never said that. But people like Ravi Zacharias and Eugene Peterson and A.W. Tozer have said, I'm here to give you the words of God out of the heart of God. They are spokesmen who are called and anointed to speak and to give away the heart of God through words. And so everything they say should align with the heart of God and the person of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how in the world is that even possible? It is absolutely possible. 
And what makes it possible is if a man or a woman commits themselves not to trying to make sure that everything they say or do aligns with the person of Jesus and the Word of God. No, that would mean that every line of every sermon, every line of every book, you would have to go through it, you would have to examine it, you would have to read and reread and write and rewrite and edit and work and work and work to make sure everything was just right. That's not the way you do it. The way you do it is you make a commitment, but not to that. You make a commitment that every day you're going to get up and you're going to sit with Him. And you're going to dig into His words. And you're going to meditate on what you find there. And you're going to live a life of devotion and service. And you're going to live in absolute obedience to what He's told you to do and what He's called you to in this world. And when you do that, when you start to give it away to other people, it's going to be pure. It's going to be holy. It's going to be righteous. And it's going to align with who He is and what He said and what He's done. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that I read, that I referenced to open the service again. Peter says, salvation is found in no one else. No one else. It's in the name of Jesus that you are saved. It's, it's the name of Jesus that we live by, that we submit ourselves to. We must be in alignment with Him and there can be no compromise. I want us to look now to Matthew chapter 4 because the arrows that point us to Jesus are always going to take us to places in His life, in His ministry, and to His words that are going to impact us right where we are in our lives right now, whatever the circumstances are. So if we can get... All right. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Stay with me here now because this is very, very good stuff. It's very important. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil... And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. We have available to us I have to remind you of this all the time. I remind myself of this all the time. We have available to us the perfect model 
the flawless example of how to live our lives, how to make decisions, how to deal with crisis, how to handle problems, how to answer difficult questions. We are not left to try to figure out by ourselves without any resource, without solid counsel, without positive example, we are not left to fend for ourselves. We have a person. It's not that you even have to think about it like a God that's out there somewhere that you that, that is mystical, that you never can really hear from in a personal way, that you can never really see in a personal way, that has never lived here on the earth and dealt with all of earth's stuff like you have to deal with every day. No, we have a person, a human being who actually did live here, who actually did deal with life the same way we have to deal with it, that is there as an example for us. He's there to, to show us the perfect way to deal with life and everything that life throws at us. I've had some difficulties in my life, but I have never had the devil in physical form walk up to me, look me in my face, and challenge me or tempt me in any particular way. Jesus deals with this situation in a way that shows us you're going to face temptation. You're going to deal with the things that the enemy will bring to you. But I'm going to give you the extreme version of that because your version is not going to be as extreme as this one. But if I show you the most extreme version of what can happen, then you should be able to learn from that and know how to deal with the versions that come your way. Man, what a... Powerful, encouraging, exciting thing to know that we have Him as our example. And He is walking through life as a man on the earth. He is the Son of God, but He's also fully human. And He is baptized by John. He's about to enter into His public ministry. But it says, after he's baptized by John, now listen, he walks up to John, he says, I need you to baptize me. John says, I got no business baptizing you, you need to be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, don't be silly, you need to understand that this has to be done. And John says, okay, 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 I'll do it. And he baptizes him, and God speaks out of the heavens and validates who this is. This is my son, and I'm pleased with him. Okay, And the people there hear it. And then the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove and lights on Him. Another validation. This is the Son of God. This is Messiah. And it says from there, He is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And He spends 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. If you Google... The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. The first reference that comes up is Wikipedia because Wikipedia is the first reference that comes up on everything. 
If you read the Wikipedia article about the temptation of Jesus, it's going to tell you that for 40 days and nights, Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Why do they say that? Because obviously the people who write for Wikipedia don't read the Bible. That's all I could say. Because the Bible doesn't say that for 40 days and 40 nights he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. The Bible says that for 40 days and 40 nights he was in the wilderness alone and he fasted, he ate no food. And that after 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness of fasting, the devil came to tempt him. How does the devil work? He's going to come at you when you're distracted. He's going to come at you when you're weak. He's going to come at you when you're discouraged. You're feeling down. Things are not going your way. He's going to come at you and he's going to offer you the opportunity to compromise. He's probably not going to say, hey, give up God altogether. He's probably not going to say, hey, you're believing that. That's a bunch of baloney. Don't believe that anymore. I've got something better for you to believe. No, it's just like in the garden where he didn't tell them to stop loving God, to stop having relationship with God. He just told them, hey, you can compromise a little bit and add something to all of that. He comes to Jesus when he's weak. He comes to Jesus when he's distracted by hunger. He comes to Jesus when he's weary. The, the wilderness in that part of the world is not like being out in the North Georgia mountains where you've got the shade of pine trees and you've got uh, water uh, here and there that you can access through streams and brooks and rivers. No, the wilderness in that part of the wor world is desert. Jesus was in the desert. Dusty, hot, dry, probably, the, probably really cold at night and really hot during the daytime because that's the way desert life is. And he's had nothing to eat. That's when the devil comes. And the devil tempts him with opportunities and items that can address his specific needs in the moment to start with. And he says, why don't you just tell these stones to become bread? It's an acknowledgement that the devil knows that he has the power to do that. I know you can do that. Why don't you just do it? What would be the problem? You're God. Work a miracle. You know what kind of miracle it would be? You walk out of this wilderness carrying a loaf of bread. You didn't go in with a loaf of bread. People ask you, where'd you get that loaf of bread? Well, I just looked at the rock over here and told it to become bread because I can do that. Look what that does for you. It's just a little compromise, but it helps you out. So it actually ends up being a blessing to you. Listen to me. Compromise will never produce a blessing. It might produce something that looks like a blessing for a minute and feels like a blessing for two minutes, but you're going to realize on down the road it was not a blessing at all because everything that looks like a blessing and feels like a blessing is not a blessing. 
There are curses that look and smell and feel a whole lot like blessings. And Jesus gives him one of the simplest, yet most powerful, pointed answers that any human being has ever uttered and a tremendous example to you and me. He says, it is written, he's quoting from the 8th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses is standing on the plains of Moab talking to a bunch of Israelites who've been wandering around like headless chickens in the wilderness for 40 years. You see the symbolism? You see Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days as a symbol of God's people wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years after they'd been released from Egyptian slavery. And Jesus is quoting Moses. And He says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now I want us to put up two verses from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Something we really need to pay attention to today. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's what Jesus is quoting when he's answering the devil and his temptation to compromise. He said, no, listen, listen. Remember back when God's people were in the wilderness and they had been wandering around for 40 years and God took them there. Go back to verse 2, Briggs. God took them there for a purpose. Because of their patterns of disobedience, He took them there in order to humble and test them in order to know what was in their heart. in order to know whether they would compromise in times of crisis. I think it's sad that in the church, when we have crisis pop up in our lives, most of the times our immediate reaction to that is to bemoan our situation and to ask the brethren to pray with us that God would deliver us from this crisis. That God would take us out of this crisis. That God would work a miracle of deliverance from the crisis. When there's a great big chance that God brought that crisis into your life in order to humble you and test you and to know what was in your heart. To know that when crisis intensifies whether you're going to compromise or not. I don't know about you, but that's a lesson I need to hear right now. Because we're all in crisis. 
Do not miss the powerful truth that we're in crisis so that the Lord can humble us and test us and know what's in our hearts. Remember a few minutes ago when I said that the line is getting bolder and bolder every day? And that one day you're going to realize which side of the line you're on. And we're in fast, forward progress toward that time. And we're in crisis because we're being tested. We're being tested to see what's in our hearts. Because it's what's in our hearts that's going to determine whether or not we have any inclination toward compromise as the crisis intensifies. Who is our source? I could jump into a long dissertation about my confusions right now. I'm just confused. Horribly confused. I'm I'm not getting into a long dissertation. But I will tell you that Confusion is coming like waves, and confusion doesn't come from God. But when I go out in public right now, and I see the behaviors of people and the responses of people to crisis, I'm having to every morning just get up and say, God, show me. God, teach me. God, reveal. God, establish. God, open up. God, Keep giving me the keys to the kingdom. I have to have you because I'm going to get lost in all this if I don't have you. And I really, it seems to me like that, that people are, have had a hook run through their nose or just being dragged along through some terrible wilderness. Just respond like a bunch of puppets to crisis. And we don't need to act like crisis is not there. We don't need to immediately start jumping on the bandwagon of a lot of conspiracy theories. We need to sit with the Lord and ask Him to keep giving us revelation day by day so that we're not subject to compromise. And I think the more that we're willing to just let somebody put a hook in our nose and drag us along right now, puts us at greater risk of being dragged somewhere we don't want to go in the future. Jesus says, listen, what's in your heart? What's in your heart's going to be revealed when you're in the middle of the wilderness and you're in compromise or you're in crisis and you're starving and you're distracted and you're cold and you're hot and, you're, and things are not going your way. And so, we go back to the temptation. What's the answer to the temptation to turn stones to bread? It is a text from God's own words. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then the devil takes him to the holy city, and has him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you're the Son of God then, why don't you throw yourself down? For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And they will lift, up in their hand, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Again, the devil knows the level of Jesus' power. He's not denying that. He responds to Jesus' text by using a text that he drags out from the words of God. It's written, he will command his angels concerning you. They'll lift you up. Hey, what's wrong with this? I'm quoting the word of God. What's wrong with it? The problem with the devil's text as it stands in opposition to Jesus' text or in comparison to it is that Jesus' text is always taken in context and the devil's text is snatched out of context and just used as a text for his own purposes. You know how much preaching is going on in the world right now during this hour where that's happening. Where a text is being plucked out of context and used to promote whatever it is the person using the text out of context is trying to promote. Whereas if you're going to go to the text inside its context, which is what Jesus always does, you're going to have to take everything inside the context of the kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your daily bread established in our lives. We repent of our sins. This is the context. God's bigger picture. And Jesus' answer to the temptation is this. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Simple, straightforward, in context, words out of the heart of God that have previously been given to the people of God. See, Jesus is still quoting Deuteronomy. Some say Deuteronomy must have been Jesus' favorite book. Well, he certainly quotes it a good bit. And it is all born out of the experiences of God's people under Moses' leadership. Their wilderness experience preceded by the release from slavery in Egypt, followed up by entering the promised land under the leadership of Joshua and Caleb. And so he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. That's the context for everything. You cannot go over here and pluck out this Scripture that says the angels will deliver you. That's been said. And, and the devil knows full well that, that Jesus has the power to call the angels to deliver Him. But you can't take that out of the context of what Jesus is here to accomplish. And verse 8 says, And again, the third temptation, the devil took Him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Listen, this is where the devil moves from his attempts to use the Word of God out of context against the Son of God who's living and breathing and moving and working in context against Him to trick Him. And now He just gets plumb silly. I see this temptation as silly. Because the context tells us 
that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord's and everything in the earth is the Lord's. God is the creator of the earth. But Satan comes to him and says, I'll give you the earth and everything in it if you'll bow down and worship me. And in classic Jesus fashion, he chooses to not even respond to the silliness of the temptation. Rather, he just says, away from me. Worship God and serve Him only. And when he gives that answer, the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So Jesus stands as our perfect model in crisis in a wilderness experience. He shows us, here's how you answer. You, ha- you answer with the words of God in the context of who God is. In the context of God's creative power. In the context of all the other words God has ever said. You cannot accept or believe or live by anything that in the least way stands in contrast to anything else that God has ever said or done. Everything is in alignment It is our responsibility to step into that alignment, not to try to adjust the alignment to whatever it is we want to see happen. Compromise in the kingdom is simply not an option. You say, well, Jeff, it sounds very hard, very uh, strict, very dogmatic. It's not dogmatic at all. It's filled with freedom. If we would only ever just throw our hands up and say, I surrender. I'm finished depending on my own intellect, my own physical strength, my own talents, abilities, gifts. I acknowledge any of that came from him anyway. I'm done trying to do this myself. I repent of the sin of self-sufficiency. I repent of the sin of self-dependence. I depend on the self the sin of self-reliance. I depend, uh, repent of all the self-sins and I humble myself before my God, repent of my sins, acknowledge Him as the Lord of everything, live, um, commit myself to live inside the context of who He is and what He's doing. And then we live in freedom and victory. It's pressure off. Pressure off. I I give thanks on a regular basis for the day that I decided to give up. Because it's on that day that the pressure just went. And I've got my own problems. I've got my own things to deal with. Devil comes to me and tempts me in various ways. And in all of that, I find my rest. I find my freedom. I find loads of peace and it shows up when I need it the most. Sometimes I have to look down to see if my feet are on the ground. I feel so free in my spirit. Just I'm not under any condemnation. I'm not living by a set of rules. I'm not living by some legalistic system. I'm free. 
free because I'm not the one who's doing the work. He's the one who's doing the work in me. Transformation from the inside out. Freedom, freedom, freedom. So I say thanks to Jesus who went to the wilderness after his baptism to show me how to deal with the wilderness. This came after his baptism. We're believers. So any crisis we're going to face now is going to come post our decision to walk with him. That's okay. We're not promised we wouldn't have it. We're promised we will. The question is, how are we going to respond to those temptations when they come? We should do it the same way he did. The text of God inside the context of God, and we experience freedom and victory. Amen. Amen.